0: Have you crafted a support network that meets your needs as you make your way along the path of recovery? Or are you still looking for something that feels just right? With so many options out there and so many different paths to recovery, we thought it would be fitting to have a conversation about how one goes about building a sobriety support network that really feels like home. Before we jump into this conversation, we just want to remind you that we've started a Facebook group just for you. We want to connect with you and get to know you, and we'd love to be a part of your recovery journey. We'll include the link in the show notes, or you can visit the Through the Glass Recovery Facebook page to find out more. All right. Hello and welcome. Thank you guys so much for being here and spending your afternoon with us. It's lovely to see everyone. I say afternoon, but I'm pretty sure Cheryl and it's evening. So wherever you all are, all are in the world, thank you for being with us today. And we're going to do our introduction. So we've got Taylor, Courtney and Sherilyn. and it's this is a, a all the ladies plus Steve episode. I just realized not cool. Is.
1: It is. It's awesome. not as rare as the all guys. Well, it's yeah, not as rare as the old guys <laughs> ones, but
0: hey, right. it happens, it's all good, it's all good. Super cool, Steve can hang, he can handle this. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and let Sherilyn start with introduction,
2: she's been here a couple times before, so how are you? It's good to see you again. Good to see you. Hi, I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me again. So my name's Sherilyn, I am from the UK, Norwich, to be precise, and I now live in France, I've been alcohol free since August the 15th, 2022, so 536 days on the clock. I tried many, many times to get sober. This is the first time it's stuck more than a couple of months, and hopefully it's the last time I will ever have to get sober. And I am married with three kids. That's my bio. (laughs)
0: Perfect. Yeah, it's so good to have you back. Um, I didn't realize this Your sobriety date is the same as my daughter's birthday, so I feel like I can remember that going forward. (laughs) But yeah, so nice to see you again. And I'm going to
3: go with Taylor next. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me on today. My name is Taylor. I am from Wisconsin, pretty close to the Twin Cities, actually, so just right over the border. I have been sober for 33 days today. Um, I've been so curious for a couple of years. Um, so this is the first, the longest stint um, I've gone. So I'm pretty proud of myself. And uh, yeah, I'm an animal lover through and through. So a lot of the things that I love to do is just be outside, be with my animals and enjoy nature for sure. So yeah, really, really cool. What kind of animals do you have? Um, so I have a beautiful Australian shepherd. He is amazing. And then I have a couple of outdoor cats. Ducks and chickens. I'm the weird paltry. Girl. People always say that. I love my birds. <laughs> Very
0: cool. So I also have an Australian shepherd. I'll have to introduce you to her after we're done recording here. But um yeah, I we have chickens and ducks and, and all of that too. So kind of cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm super excited to have you and get to talk to you.
4: And last but not least, we have Courtney. Hey. Um, so I'm Courtney. I live in Dallas, Texas. And I will have six years clean on March 3rd. So oh. tomorrow, I'm like five years, 11 months clean. Yeah, I have a daughter. She's nine. I actually got clean because when three days after her third birthday, CPS got involved. And I just got her back. uh Not last December, but the December before. So I was without custody for about four years. And so that's kind of this is definitely the longest dent. I definitely got, I had, you know, an alcohol issue for a while before I even had her. But it was when she got taken from me that I decided to like really get my, my shit together. I have one dog and two cats, no birds. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I got married in October of last year. So a couple of months, four months ago, seems like forever, but we're still, we're still hanging in there. So that's exciting. He's in recovery too. So that's really cool.
1: Right on. Really,
4: really cool. Yeah. So there's that.
1: Did you say you awesome. had a book coming out too?
4: Yes, on Tuesday. It drops Um, Kindle version on Amazon. And I'm not sure when the paperback will be released because that's a little bit more money. But we are working on it. But yeah, as of Tuesday, you can type in my name, my title, my book, and you can get a 99 cent version, Kindle version on Amazon.
1: Can you say really the cool. name of the book? Exactly. The date <laughs> it gets released. This is going to be released in a month. So. I want to hear all of the details right now so all of the listeners can hear about it.
4: Okay, so the name of the book is called The One Brought Back, kind of a play on words of the one who got away. And my name is Courtney Proper. And the book is basically just going through my life story. You know, it starts out, uh, the sequence of events is kind of pre-addiction, during addiction, and post-addiction. It will be released on Tuesday, February 6th, so four days from now. And it's accessible on Amazon. It's just the Kindle version for now and the paperback version will be to be determined, but it should be, I mean, it's in the works. I've got the cover and everything done with that. But yeah, as of now, February sixth is when it'll be accessible to the public.
1: And as soon as you it's know so when cool. this is it's really awesome. And as soon as you know when, if before this episode gets released, as soon as you know. When that uh, when the paperback will be available, let us know because we can make sure we add that to the notes and everything else.
4: Okay, we'll do for sure. Awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. so just so our listeners know, and I know I say this every time, but in case you're new to the through the Glass Recovery podcast, you can check the show notes and links to these ladies' bios and social media and everything else will be there so you guys can get in touch with them and follow along. And for sure, check out Courtney's book. So, yeah, really cool stuff. I'm so excited that that you three are here. I love what you guys are doing. Yep. I know that I had to learn this the hard way, but finding support is an absolutely imperative part of the recovery journey. There are so many different ways to find support, and every single one is valid as long as it's serving you and meeting your needs. We would love to hear how you have built up a support network that supports your sobriety. And if there's things that haven't worked, we'd love to hear more about that, too. We just want to hear what your experience has been
2: with building up a support network. Um, I'll go first, if, uh, if no one else wants to guess. Um, right. I think the first support network I had was the people I already knew. And it was not everyone was supportive of my decision to stop drinking. But it's a good way of uh, decluttering your phone book or your contacts on your phone because you can really quickly find out who's ready to, you know, go the whole way on your sobriety journey and who's who was just there as a drinking buddy. But the one thing that changed for me, and it was a, a real game changer, this time around after many attempts at getting sober and failing, uh, was IAS. So it's an app and it's how I met Stephen Julie. It's called I Am Sober and it's just an app that I found after reading an article about someone's one year sobriety story. And I thought, wow, that would be cool. At least I'll be able to calculate how much money I'm saving and how many calories I'm not drinking and all that stuff. I didn't realize when I downloaded the app that it also had this tab where you can share your struggles and I don't use it very much now because I don't need it as much as I did at the beginning, but the first few days and the first few weeks I was posting every day. And through that, I also found out about unofficial IAS Zooms, where you can meet people a bit like we're meeting now um, on Zoom, with cameras, and it's just like having a an online meeting. I've never tried AA, but I imagine that they also have online meetings. I mean, I've heard that they also have online meetings, but I think it's really, really important to talk to people who, who understand what you're going through because. People can be supportive in your family and your circle of friends, but they won't know what you're going through unless they've been an addict as well. So,
3: Sherilyn, thank you so much for sharing that. I actually, this is Taylor, I wanted to say something that kind of piggybacks off what you were just saying. I also use that I Am Sober app and I really love it. I love the fact that you can put a widget on your home screen of your phone and every day it's a very in-your-face reminder of how far you've come and I absolutely mm-hmm. love it. The community that it does allow you to use is also awesome you can post and talk to other people and i also found it very interesting that you had said the first support group you really had were the people closest to you because for me it's actually the opposite so i did not approach people that were in my immediate friend group with this first actually i kind of made this decision independently. And then I reached out to strangers, which is so funny because people, you know, in the past, they always like don't make friends online and whatever. But that is exactly what I did. So I went to TikTok um, and I just made an account and I just started sharing with the public with anyone and everyone that would listen, except for I did go through and um, I blocked a lot of the people that I knew were on TikTok that were very close to me. And I, I think it was because, like you had said, those people in your support group don't know exactly what you're going through. They can be supportive of you, but some of those people won't be as well. And honestly, I was so fragile in the decision that I did not want anyone to not be supportive. Um, and it's a lot easier for me to take negative comments from people online than it is from people I care about. So that's kind of my two cents on on that. So I guess it is really just whatever works for you.
2: Thank you for sharing, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with
4: me, actually, it's the opposite of you, Taylor. Uh, this is Courtney, by the way. I, everybody in my circle and my family were just like done with me. I mean, I did not, I was out of options and I, I for sure did not get clean or sober for me. Um, I know there's kind of a popular saying like, it's not going to work if you don't do it for yourself. Like you've got to want this and you've got to do it for you. I 100% did it to get my kid back. Like without a doubt, if I could have, I would still be banging ice. I would still be having my fifth of vodka. Like that's just how, you know, is my life and that's how I wanted to live it now I stay clean and maintain my sobriety because I have such a great life. But, you know, I got clean right after my daughter got taken. And uh, I only got her back a couple, you know, a little over a year ago. So there was a whole lot of time where I was putting in the work and I wasn't really getting back my prize is how I thought, you know, like I got clean for her. Why don't I have her back? And so in the process of getting her back, I actually met a ton of people. I mean, I had to go I had a felony that I had to get taken care of. So, you know, I went into rehab. I had to do a drug court program. I uh, was mandated to go to AA or NA, which I did. So, I actually had a lot of exposure to numerous recovery groups because we had something in common, right? So, like, there's people in drug court who obviously were there because they got in some kind of legal trouble. Um, I had to go to anger management classes for CPS. Obviously, I met people there you know, that were, we had the same goal of getting our kids back. I was in rehab because that earned me like a shiny gold star with CPS. So I met people there. So I actually had a lot of uh, various exposure to people who, who had to do what I was doing. Now we might not have had the same motives in all of those areas I just mentioned, but I didn't even have time to be around the wrong people who weren't supporting me because I was so busy, you know, doing all these things, checking, checking things off the list that needed to be done to reach my goal. And you know, AA was mandated. And when COVID hits, you know, our group shut down there. It was a while where it was just nobody was meeting because the world was ending. And so, you know, I did the online stuff and, and that helps, but I got back into in-person meetings because there's just so much more camaraderie with seeing people, you know, like in person and, you know, being able to go and do stuff like after the meeting, like go out to eat. We used to, in the summertime, we do water volleyball at the pool and things like that. So I love TikTok and how there's so many people and how recovery is like a thing that is so much that's talked about so frequently because you can see all the different things that relate to your story. But for me, being around people in person really, really helps just because, you know, it's it's just a different, a different type feeling. And then I also was raised in church and my church family, I mean, I am so blessed. You know, I know there's some people have a stigma with church, but like my, my home, my church home, I mean, they, I went in, I I mean, I would shoot up in the bathroom before church. Like I did the most craziest stuff, but I always stayed at church and they saw me through everything, you know, they helped out when they could. And so, you know, having listed all those different groups, that, that helps keep me sober because everybody loves me so much better than when I was tweaking or when I was drunk and stuff. And so being able to to be with the people who saw me at my worst, now they saw me now and they tell me like, you know, that I inspire them or they reach out to me because they have like a niece or they have an extra neighbor or someone who needs help. Like that is, is support for me, you know? So, and a lot of people say, you know, you go to meetings, even if you don't want to go, it's good to go for the newcomer, for the other person. So like, I, sometimes I don't get anything out of meetings, and that's okay because someone got something out of it, and I was there to participate in their recovery at that point. So um, I ramble a lot in case you didn't notice, um, but I, I feel like oh, I kind yeah. of moved back to the point of the conversation. Go ahead, Julie. Oh that, No, that's that's all
0: really good stuff, and I think that just listening to the three of you ladies speak about what's worked for you, it's all different. Right. You've all found this journey from a different point and you've all found support in different ways. And I think that's maybe I think that's one of the most important things for me as far as when I get out there and really start advocating for recovery is there's so many different ways to do this and all of them are valid, but all of them require support in one form or another. Um, I was maybe more similar to Taylor. I didn't tell anybody in my real life at first. I started out online with a bunch of strangers the same way. (laughs) I never, ever would have walked into an in-person, real-life meeting of any kind. I would not have had the courage to face that. And the fear of seeing somebody that I knew would have stopped me from ever taking that step. And I was able to show up at a meeting online with my camera off and my mic off, and just listen to people say, you know, talk about what they were going through. And it took me a while to even turn my camera on and be able to talk about my own stuff. But just hearing what other people were saying was so valuable to me because I felt so alone for so long. And I met um, Steve and Sherilyn both in those IAS Zoom meetings that Sherilyn mentioned. And those meetings are the foundation for this podcast. Yeah. Right. We showed up at those meetings and they take everybody and divide them up into room groups of four or five and you have a conversation. And so that's kind of where we got the idea for the podcast because these conversations are amazing.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And then we ended up starting our own meeting with a similar structure so that everybody that we meet on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and everywhere has the option of of going to a meeting just like that. But for me, the the online Strangers absolutely saved my life.
3: And I definitely think, you know, it is all about vulnerability and whoever you're able to be vulnerable with first and connect and find that connection helps you build confidence. So now that I've done this for a little bit over a month now, I am way more confident going to things and telling my friends, hey, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, I'm surprised to find that a lot of them are very supportive of it, even if they don't really understand. Um And because, you know, I also come from the background where I wasn't at, I wasn't out of options. And I just made this decision to better my life before things got worse, because I could see that that's where things were going. So a lot of people come from it, like they're like, I don't really understand why you're doing this. It didn't seem like you had a problem. But again, I recognized that there was an internal problem because I was using it in unhealthy ways that really weren't very visible to a lot of other people. So now that I am getting more comfortable with it, more vulnerable, and knowing that there are other people out there, I'm more comfortable showing my face and things, or you know, telling people in my immediate group. And I actually just talked to my boyfriend who I live with two days ago, and he's like, "Hey, Dry January is over. Are you like gonna celebrate?" And I was like, "No, I think I'm gonna keep going." He's like, "You mean for like the rest of the year?" And I was like, "Maybe for the rest of my life." And he was like. Whoa. I was <laughs> like, you're the person I live with and all these people online already knew this, but you know, it it's just who you're willing to share it with and when. So it's <laughs>
1: recovery is like your test market for real life. I swear. I've I've tried I've tested so many things out from just having a normal conversation to being vulnerable and all of that stuff in my support group. And then I've brought it out to my relationships to See how it works because that's my, my problems. A lot of them have stemmed from my relationships, and then I need to figure out how to work through that. And that happens in the support groups that I've been in, in those conversations, so I can figure out what my solution is. So, like Taylor, what you're saying right there is that's I've done that a ton of times. Where my wife at the time, I didn't know how to deal with it. I'm we're separated now, but I didn't know how to deal with it, and started out in, in the support group and I was talking about my problem and then I would bring it out afterwards. And like, so the support groups for me have been, like you guys said, strangers have been life-changing for me. They saved my life. And I started out where I didn't even know what support looked like. I had no idea. And I think we all start that way. But I, I started that way. I didn't. I had no idea what support looked like. I only knew AA existed. I didn't know there was all of these other things. On day six, I downloaded the I Am Sober app because I wanted to count how many days I was. And I was sitting on the couch. And I honestly, I was like, it's Saturday. How many days is that? And I'm like, "It's. it. I'm going to download a counter because I know it's the 14th of March and I can't count. I was in that much of a fog that... I didn't even know I was six days sober. (laughs) So I downloaded a day counter so I could find out how many days I was. Like that's, that's, that's how loopy I was on day six. Mm -hmm. But I, because I didn't know what support looked like. I, I called up my parents and I told them I had an alcohol problem and I said, I'm going to need support. I don't know what that looks like because I didn't. Just in tears, I call I, I, on day three, we had my in-laws over for dinner. And I sat down and I said that I had an alcohol problem to them face to face in tears saying, I, I'm going to need support, but I don't know what that looks like. I was at, at least at that point on the outside. A lot of the people like even even my in-laws didn't think I had a drinking problem. I knew I did. It was, I very much had a drinking problem. Uh, my wife knew I had a drinking problem, but it was one of those things that we just didn't talk about because that's a hard conversation. And so support, I asked for support, even though I didn't know what that looked like. I th- And I think when I was asking for it, it just meant like, if I need to ask you for help, I, that's probably what it was, you know? Mm-hmm. And they were willing and they would listen but they definitely didn't understand and when i i i started out going to aa meetings just because that's all i knew existed and my support changed over time and i think uh when you experiment with what support looks like to you. And I think AA was a great support in the beginning for me. <laughs> and as I grew and found different groups and tested things out, I went to the same meetings that Sherilyn and Julie did. And it's where we met my, what support looked like to me changed what I connected to. What that, uh, what that, the style of support that I connected to changed and I went with where I felt like I was supported in the best way for my growth. And that's kind of where I slowly moved to the that style of meeting, which is what this is right now, and slowly phased AA out of my life completely because I found a group of people that helped me in a way that I connected with. And I think it's okay. I think it's okay to like try a whole bunch of different things and see who and what and where, whether it's spirituality. I never even got spiritual. Not, not, I'm not even talking religion. Spiritual until later on, until I could figure out what even life looked like. Support. I think it's whatever you make it and whatever you allow in.
2: Yeah, I think... um That really reminds me, Steve, of one of the things I loved about my first ever meeting. I will never forget my first meeting because I was so scared and I had no idea what to expect. And everyone was just so welcoming and compassionate. And there was this sense of being in a safe space to share because I was still, I mean, I told my husband and kids that I was going to try to stop drinking, but I hadn't like overtly told anyone that I was that i had a problem or that i was going to stop i was you know doing dry january i was trying to do dry 2022 but that didn't work until until august and i was a bit cagey because i was fearful of being judged of being rejected of being mocked for making this decision and when i came into that safe space on ias there was no judgment there was just compassion everyone was so, so welcoming and so excited to see it, you know, a newbie. Um, there were newbies coming in every week, um, which is great. Um, but they made me feel like i I, I was the only new person ever <laughs> that had been on the i Zoom. So yeah, and after that first meeting, I was just like, wow, this is, you know, this is my tribe. These are my people. this is this is who I want to be with. I didn't know any of them. like I'd never <laughs> never even shared anything on the app with some of them. So I had no idea what I was getting into, but it was just so different from the world I was experiencing at work, for example, and in other parts of my life. So that was, that was the kind, exactly the kind of support I needed at the time. I
0: think that's what you described, not knowing what to expect on your first meeting. And mm-hmm. I I was the same way. Like, I didn't want to be the kind of person who needed meetings, right? The whole first time I was sober, I convinced myself I wasn't the kind of person that needed meetings. And I don't know what kind of person I thought that was. But like when I went to my first meeting, I was expecting, I don't know. I mean, my picture of an alcoholic is like, you know, the guy under the bridge. And so I was kind of expecting more that. And what I found were a whole bunch of people just like me and just like you that are just normal humans. Um, And, you know, some had Huge rock bottoms, and some never had a rock bottom, and some were right in the middle, like I was. And it was just not what I expected. The people were so normal, and I wasn't expecting them to just be kind and normal. The only thing that was abnormal is how, like, how accepting they were, and how safe I felt with them. And that's because I li- I was listening to them talk about what they, you know, what they were really going through, what they were really feeling, and and that made me feel safe like i could talk about it too but i think that for so many people the reason they never go to a meeting whether it's in person or whether it's online or, or whatever the reason they don't seek out a, a support group of any kind is because they have this picture in their head of it being this terrible experience or you know you see the like the aa meetings online or on on tv and that gives you this idea of what it's going to be like and it's just My experiences with different meetings and meeting all these different people um, has been so different from what I had in my head. And so I would encourage anybody listening to this to like, just try it um, and have the courage to walk in or turn on your camera or whatever it is, because it is it's just not what you think it's going to be. And it's not as scary as I
3: thought it was going to be either. Julia, I totally agree with you. The actual first meeting that I went to was with you guys on Monday. (laughs) Oh, yes, I agree. I was like, I don't know what I'm setting myself up for right now. But I actually was mind blown by just how emotionally safe it felt in that entire group. You know, I think a lot of people in my immediate life, especially growing up, were not emotionally safe situations where it was, it was not, you know, not physically dangerous, but it was like emotionally kind of dangerous to be vulnerable and say things like that. And it was just really really comforting to hear everybody just sharing such personal things with everyone else. So,
0: Most of us learned at some point to keep our emotions inside, right? Like keep that shit covered up. Nobody needs to see that. You're overreacting, whatever it is. We all learned how to to pretend like everything was fine and keep it all in. And of course, that's like one of the main reasons we're drinking, right? And to be able to show up and actually let that stuff out and let it be okay is just an amazing experience. It's so foreign to a lot of people. Um, oh, that that show up in the recovery community. It's, it was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Like, <laughs> it
1: was. It's, I have written down, the fear of rejection and judgment prevents us from getting support. I'm listening to what everyone's saying, and that's terrifying. Because where am I going to find a safe place to say all of the things that I need to say or that I'm feeling or whatever it is? Because... I've either been shut down or it hasn't been met with that compassion and kindness. Maybe I feel like I'm partially crazy. And there's, I mean, there's no matter of things that have got that went through my head. And I remember the first time I actually shared, all I did was fall apart. Tears, absolute tears, because I like saying vulnerable things was scary. Listening to everyone else share, it's like, huh. Okay. So, like, I can talk maybe a little bit. And then, as soon as I opened my mouth, everything start, started dumping out. And then I'm just terrified. And then to be met with that kindness and compassion, and it, you might not find it in the first place, but it's out there and it exists in droves everywhere. You have Taylor and Courtney on from TikTok. And I mean, I just started getting back involved in the TikTok talk community and there are so many and there's tons of people. It's everywhere. Recovery is everywhere if you want to find it.
0: Do you have anything else, Courtney? I think a lot of us have
4: done a lot of talking
0: here. You're welcome to share any other thoughts you have. Go for it.
4: Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I was just, you know, I am just completely not, I was not scared at all. I was uh, pissed off you know, when I, I, I mean, I, I was forced, right? Like, I feel like all of y'all kind of took this initiative on your own and kudos to y'all because I was not in a place to where I loved myself enough to want better for myself. You know, like God had to take away what he gave to me, like the, the reason I live, you know? Um, so I didn't go in there afraid and like, Oh, what are they going to think? I straight up went in there pissed off. Like I was like, this like I don't need to be here I know I have a problem I don't want to do anything about it but I'm being forced to do um I mean just very very defiant very closed off not open to it I mean you know I I probably I mean this is a while ago but it sounds like it would be me to have like a little agenda you know like a secret agenda like okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna get my kid back I'm gonna go back to do what I was doing because this is my life and you know obviously now all that perspective has changed like 100 percent um but you know i was forced to go to the meetings i was forced to go to rehab i was forced to go you know to counseling and therapy and all the things and being a person can only do that for so long before you eventually have to like let it all out you know mm-hmm. so you know i i was just i was pushed i was forced to do it and for me, that that is the only thing that was going to work. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I had felonies and wrecked cars and lost jobs. I got my kid taken. And so I am the stubborn person that needed literally everything ripped from me in order to participate, you know, to become to, to, to start my sobriety journey. And and that sucks because I wish I could have been like y'all and just been like, hey, I deserve a good life. But um, and I, I, I didn't have it. And I go into this in my book. I don't have any like childhood trauma. I did not come from, you know, a very bad, poor background. Like I had it made. I just have an addictive personality. I started partying and I did not want to stop for nothing. And I tried almost everything in the book. I did it all the ways that you could put something of substance in your body. I just love to party. Like that was it. I had, you know, everything was handed to me on a silver platter. I I had no reason to go off the rails the way I did. I just loved to not feel or to feel high or drunk or whatever. So, you know, obviously I couldn't control it. That's why I was left with quite literally nothing. So, and, you know, I don't, I just got into TikTok a little over a year ago. Um, I got clean in 2018. So I don't even know if TikTok was around then, but, but I can appreciate how much social media and things have, have given support to the newcomer and people who are like, oh, maybe like, do I want to get, do I want to be sober? Like, you know, because I think that maybe, and actually, no, probably not. I was going to say if I had that, I might've felt different, but I know me better than anybody. and I still would have wanted to do what I wanted to do, but I can see like just all the support, just, you know, reading comments on people's reels and, you know, watching the interaction, you know, and online groups and things like that. Like it is so, so much easier in my opinion Uh, For people to be able to get the help that they need, especially the introverts, especially the people who are a little bit more, you know, just like to keep to themselves, because like y'all said, you know, you can and you know, you can open up to strangers and like it's not like they know you or they can't make fun of you or go and like talk shit behind your back to your social circle because, you know, it can be across the world and it doesn't matter. So I really I really appreciate how how things have have evolved with social media and kind of just being able to put yourself out there without the fear of having all of the judgment and the negative feedback and, and things like that. So, you know, but
1: yeah, I love your perspective. I love that perspective of it, that you got forced into it and that you fought your way through it until you found your way out of it. Like
0: support still saved you. Like you were forced to take it. Right. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it's still one more Testament of how important support really is whether you come by it on your own or you come by it because you don't have a choice i think that's yeah i think that's so valuable
3: i also yeah. really really love the fact that you were not expecting or looking for the life that you have now and you said in the very beginning of this episode the life that you made now is the reason you stay sober you got your daughter back and you didn't go back to it like that itself is just so inspirational for people that are early in their journey like like me that sometimes I still sit here and question what the heck I'm doing this for, you know? And it's like when you finally find that life that you're so happy to have built, that's what keeps you going. Yeah.
4: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, along the way, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, I did not get her back immediately. Like it's there were times where I was like, what the fuck is even the point? Like I'm doing everything right and I still don't have her. Um, but I I also work a program. So I do the 12 steps and you know, there's spiritual awakenings that happen. And even when I didn't get her back and also side note, she was with my mom the whole time. So I didn't have to deal with like foster care, visitation. I was very, very blessed. It was kinsmanship placement. So I I didn't have her have her, but I was still able to see her. So I do know I, and I'm very humbled and grateful for that. Um, but you know, God, God does for you, what you can do for yourself. And, Looking back now, I think that if I had got her back when I wanted to or after like a year of sobriety or three years, you know, I don't know what God was protecting me from when I had the mentality because, you know, I might not have been strong enough in my recovery to be able to handle that responsibility. You know, God was doing in me, he was, he was molding me and giving me the the tools and, and the people in my life that I needed to make sure I had to build a strong foundation Um, you know, I thought I wanted her back. I was doing everything right. I got my felonies expunged. I mean, I had my job, all that, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not, we don't, we don't get to know exactly how things are going to play out, but it was in the time that I didn't have her that I was clean that I realized like, you know, I, I'm able to do this. And even though I'm not getting what I want, when I want it, I am becoming a better person while working for it. So it was, it's like, you know, it's a journey, not, not the destination. Um, and, you know, I would see other people in the room that had similar circumstances and they would get their kid back after like six months or like, you know, really quick. And I had a lot of resentment towards those people that I didn't even know them, right? Like strangers. I'm like, why the hell is she, you know, it, it was not competing in my head that I'm doing this, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. So I should get this. But that's part of the beauty of it because I learned so much about myself, all those places I listed your management, rehab court. I met so many people, a lot of them I'm still in touch with to this day, and they have affected my life, like, in one way or another that nobody else has the ability to do.
1: Support right there. So, all of it. Yeah,
4: exactly. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, it's yeah. what you're describing, so what, the like, the exchange just now between Taylor and Courtney, Taylor's, like, you're, you're what, 35 days-ish sober, and here Courtney has been through all of this, and you're like, I needed to hear that your life is this amazing that it's it's worth staying sober for. That is hope, mm-hmm. right? And and one of the biggest, most valuable things about a support community where people are actually in recovery is that we can share hope. Mm-hmm. I know I say all the time, I wish I you know when when people are early on and it it is a struggle. I always say, I wish I could hand you a photo album of what your life could look like in one year or two years, because you can't even imagine it. And I know somebody said the same thing to me when I was, you know, 30 days sober. And I'm like, I you can only see so far. And my life after just one year of sobriety was so far beyond anything I could imagine. The way I felt about myself was beyond anything I could have imagined. And all of those changes, you know, I, I wouldn't have stuck around if it wasn't for the hope that was shown to me every time I showed up at a meeting and heard those people who had been sober for a year or sober for five years and and listened to what they shared so I think that's just another really valuable piece of of support is even if you're you're six months in that is huge for the people who are three days in And you're letting them know that, you know, even in six months, it can be this much better. Even in 30 days, it can be this much better. Right. And there's just there's so much value in being able to share your journey and share all that hope with people who need to hear it.
1: I guess that one thing is just like you never know who you're going to see or when you're going to hear the thing that you need to hear that makes something click. And that has happened so many times when I was... I, with support, talking with someone who is supportive or whatever that may be. My very first meeting was someone's 45th sober birthday. I never okay. said anything. I just showed up to a zoom meeting. It was not even in person. Cause it was right then in, in the middle of COVID. This shows you how, uh, what can happen. I saw a dude 45 years sober and I saw a whole bunch of people laughing and smiling. That's all I remember about that meeting. And the other thing I remember was, I saw a guy 45 years sober. And the thought to me was, that I had was, oh my God, it can be done. And that was enough for me to be like, all right, like I'm, I'm in this now, like it can be done. I saw this example of a man who lived his, the more life than he did drunk Mm -hmm. finally, you know what I mean? And he was happy and smiling and he was connected and he had friends and he had like all of these things that like, I felt like I didn't have, it was so lonely. So it was, you never know what you're going to find, who you're going to meet or whatever that may be when it comes to looking for support. It's never going to look like what you think it's going to look like, because it never did with me. And I don't think it did with any of you guys either showing up and just either facing the fear or facing the music in Courtney's, uh, mm-hmm. example, it's really, support is a beautiful thing when you find it and it's in the right place with the right people. So I want to say thank you, Cheryl Lynn, Thank you, Taylor. And thank you, Courtney, for showing up and having this beautiful conversation about what support looks like.
4: Thank Thank you.
0: you for having us. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it.
1: To our listeners, thanks so much for being here. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow through the Glass Recovery Podcast so you don't miss next week's episode, where we chat with some inspiring friends about how to find your purpose once you've stopped drinking and are ready to create meaning in your life.